Welcome to the Natural History Cupboard. Come on in. And welcome back to the Natural History Cupboard podcast, the place where the weird and wonderful parts of the natural world come together. I'm your host, Gareth, and with me, as always, are my co-host, Drew. Say hi. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. In fact, it's our first high for the year. And it is. I to... haven't changed it. Yep, that's good. Um, no, no well, new me. No new year, new me. No new new year, no new 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 you me. No um, new year, same old, same old, <laughs> same. But old. unfortunately, no Aaron because he's currently sitting on an island somewhere, sunning himself, eating massive prawns as he showed us pictures of the other night. Um, he is uh, he is away this week, but um, Aaron's been away for about the past five months actually so he's we've just... recorded all of those episodes last year were pre-recorded yeah, we don't know Aaron's where he's away we don't actually really know where he is but we will continue on regardless we will we will endure right well uh, what what have you been up to over this new year's period have you uh you done anything or got any interesting um christmas presents to do with animals well i can tell you what i have been up to and that is as always being woefully unprepared for that question and <laughs> actually, and completely forgetting that you're even going to ask uh ask it of me um what what have i done i'm trying to th- i'm trying to think back to the last time we actually asked this question because we've had two specials mm. um since the last and actually the episode before that was one we've just met jess and me and i'm trying to think if we actually mentioned anything or like well, the things that I've seen, have I already mentioned them or not? Um, we have we have seen a fair few red deer recently, oh. but again, I, I might have I might have already mentioned that. But continued, we've seen red deer continued. Nice, uh, maybe the same, maybe the same old red deer keep popping up. Um, might might not. Hmm. That's uh, but yeah, I mean, Christmas was uh, Christmas is a quiet one because don't know about you, Gareth, but I've been working pretty much all the way through. Uh, as has as has Jess, and uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a quiet Christmas, but it's been it has been nice. Hmm. Well, as you may be aware, if you were uh, uh, dear listeners listened to the episode where I was not there, it's the first one in in almost a hundred epi- episodes where I was not there, mm. um, and it was mostly because. I was really, really sick, so uh, there was there was no chance of me recording. I barely had a voice and barely had the ability to uh, stay awake. So um, yeah, I thought I thought you you could potentially just cock it. <laughs> I recorded I recorded that episode knowing full well this could be the end. He could never he could never be back again. <laughs> so I don't know what happens after this, but just we're just gonna keep yeah. trucking. Well, uh, I I got better obviously and um. Was uh, was was able to uh, to be out and about sort of Christmas wise and, and everything. So, um, but I've not really done a huge amount either. It's been very much focused on uh, bits in and around the house to uh, to get ready. Well, I'll tell you what I did get that's uh, that sort of to do with the podcast for Christmas is a lovely a lovely sort of uh, protective case for my laptop and all the recording equipment for when I go nice. out and about. So that's all a bit more protected than just the Tesco's bag I used to carry it around in. Um, and the only other thing that uh, that I've really done is I've been playing around, and I've just showed you some of the uh, the different ones that I've 
I've been messing around with, been playing around with a 3D printer again, printing off uh, prehistoric animals and, and bits and pieces to basically, well, I don't know, f- for the sake of printing them off, I guess. I'm sitting yeah. here with a Kephalaspis and a Parasotherium in my hands. Um, so normal, com- normal everyday sentence. Exactly. There's also yeah. a, a Xenactophus, um, but his fins all broke off, which is a bit of a shame. That is upsetting. It is. <laughs> it is. Well, speaking of prehistoric animals, I've just remembered that, yeah, I mean, it was, it was early December, but again, due to the rate of how we've recorded these, this is the first one since, since then. Um, uh, Jess and I did actually go down to the uh, the old Natural History Museum in London. It's a yeah. bit of a niche place. A lot of people probably wouldn't have heard of it, yeah. uh, but do check it out because <laughs> you know they 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 need people. No, they they do. Like obviously, it's a you go in for free. I mean, donate if you can. Mm. But yeah, it's a it, it's obviously an amazing. It's an amazing building just to begin with, and then yeah, obviously what's in it obviously just adds to it. It's incredible. Um, and yeah, we took quite a few of some, um, and no disrespect to the people who uh, who did a lot of these taxidermies or models or stuff. We took a few photos <laughs> of the der- the derpier ones, and Jess has been posting those up on up on the social media. So you've probably already seen those. But I uh, I personally yeah. didn't think the Mirrortherium is the derpiest looking thing in the world. Oh, oh my god! But, it, but I mean, well, I mean, the model isn't. It's just the animal itself <laughs> because it's every all of its face is at the end of its head. <laughs> yeah, it's there's, there's, only the ears are at the back. Everything else has just been like jammed right at the front. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's quite a derpy-looking creature. Um, I think we should have a category, yeah. possibly the derpiest-looking animal you can think of. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I love it. I, I love I love bad taxes. I mean, I love derpy, derpy-looking animals. Um, I, it heightens my experience. I, those are the ones that stick with me i think so um yeah for anyone listening if you've got like a a a place near you that does really bad taxidermy we're always more than happy to um oh yeah send send photos of those because they're great in fact i think i've got one or two from uh photos from i think it's the manchester natural history museum which has got some pretty interesting bad taxidermy the best place i've ever seen though is Tring because the collection is so old there of mm. all these different taxidermied animals. There are some that are just, I think it was the chimp. It just did not look remo- uh, remotely like what a chimp should look like. It's just uh, this well, odd, dead. odd looking thing. I've not been to Tring actually. That's um, that is that's on the good. list. Yeah. It's a good one to go to. Well, that's good. It, you know, we've we've done bits and pieces of uh, of stuff throughout the year, and we hope that you've all been doing the same up to um, all sorts of different uh, adventures. Um, and wherever Aaron is, we'll find out what on earth he's been doing when he gets back with us eventually. But let's jump on into the news, shall we? Yes. It's the news. Right. Well, we're into the news for this week. Um, and obviously, Aaron is not here. He likes to do his regular cupboard dweller updates. He has sent in his uh, his recommendations of different uh, bits of news that he has seen over the last week or so. Um, and these include everything from polar dinosaurs, uh, which are revealing ancient secrets. Uh, mounting evidence continues to show that some dinosaurs lived among polar biomes. 
and how they did it. I mean, that's I, I'm going to go down a whole thing if I continue going on about that. But that's no, it's, it's a highlights real. It's a highlights real. Exactly that. Yeah, I mean, it's fairly obvious. Modern day animals do it, so why the hell wouldn't dinosaurs? Uh, mm. A flock of endangered birds from Bristol Zoo arrive at the Wild Place Project. In other words, Bristol Zoo are moving animals from Bristol Zoo to New Bristol, Bristol Zoo. Bristol Zoo, yeah. <laughs> Um, the species uh, included a flock of seven turtle doves two Menindo uh, bleeding heart doves two Vasian Tantaric hornbills, gorgeous looking birds two Sirocco doves and one Sumatran song thrush that's a much better 12 days of Christmas oh yeah, anything that's got hornbills in it much better (laughs) Uh, next up, a volcano in Chile starts sending plumes skywards yet another volcano this time uh, the Lascar volcano in the Andes has, drig- uh, has triggered minor earth tremors uh, and smoke, ash, and plumes uh, reaching up to 6,000 meters up into the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, peat on land and kelp at the sea as Argentina protects the tip of Tierra del Fuego. Um, and it's the Argent- uh, Argentinian legislators from Tierra del Fuego have approved a law to protect the Mita Peninsula, both on land and at sea. Dinosaur teeth reveal what they didn't eat. Uh, for the first time, dental microware texture analysis, otherwise known as DMTA, has been used to extrapolate uh, just what the diets of large theropods, including Allosaurus and T-Rex, would have included. <laughs> so now we know what they're eating. And that'll pretty much do it for our newsreel roundup of the week. Uh, remember, if you have any news stories you want us to cover... Uh, send it into us, and you might see your chosen topic as the news article covered in our main articles. Uh, and with that said, let's dive into some of those main articles. Drew, would you like to go first? Yeah. Um, so yeah, my article to start this whole year off uh, is titled "Hobart Mum Bends Down to Pick Up Plush Toy Gets Devil of a Surprise." So um, <laughs> this sounds like a strong article to start the new year with. Yep. 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 So. The article I did consider covering uh, was actually uh, one about German authorities discovering that a wolf, a wild wolf, had bred with a domestic dog, and their decision to shoot the hybrid wolf dog offspring. Um, it was a good talking point. I felt uh, it's ultimately about the hard decisions that have to be taken in conservation and the problems that wolf dogs cause, particularly in wild wolf populations, in terms of uh, their genetic dilution and their behavior issues. But this is the first episode of 2023, and I didn't want to start it with the article. Uh, yeah, as, let's let's as, keep it a little light. <laughs> yeah, as, a, as good a talking point it is, it's pretty heavy material. So instead, let's uh, find out what's happening to this lady or what happened to this lady. Uh, presumably it happened already because it's news, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, just, it's just happened. So Kirsten Lynch heard her four-month-old golden retriever puppy give a, quote, very strange bark. Uh, she went downstairs to pick up her puppy's Tasmanian devil-shaped stuffed toy when the toy started to run around. So she said, I went to reach for it and the devil shot underneath the couch, she said. Uh, I, got a fright of my, uh, I got a fright of my life. I woke the whole family up. This little Tasmanian devil was hiding underneath my couch. Uh, so Kirsten lives next to Bushland. It's Sandy Bay and sometimes leaves the door open for her puppy that's being toilet trained. And she believes that's when the little opportunist decided to sneak in. It was very cute, but very unusual, she said. At one stage, we had the whole family standing on the dining room table while my husband was trying to chase the poor thing out with the broom. But after a few minutes of hide and seek, the devil took off 
for the Bush outside unharmed. Uh, there is a video actually on the article as well. Um, it's on uh, abc.net. Um, if you if you wanted to check that one out, but because it it did not appear to be hurt, the family decided not to call Bonnerong Wildlife Sanctuary. Uh, the director of the sanctuary, Greg Irons, said this was a time of the year when juvenile animals wandered into suburban areas. Uh, there's a lot of young ones that are leaving their mothers and they're heading out to try and find their uh, to try and find their way. That's obviously a pretty tough gig, he said. When you're young, you don't know where food is, you don't know where water is. So animals seeking water investigate pet food and water bowls. So on the morning after, Bonarong received two call-outs about Tasmanian devil spottings, uh, with team members responding to a juvenile Tasmanian devil hiding underneath a dog kennel in Huonville, I assume that's how it's pronounced, um, in Tasmania's south, and a young devil hit by a car in the north. No. Uh, a week before, a Tassie devil was seen roaming the streets of West Hobart before it was taken uh, to Bonarong, uh, reportedly riddled with facial tumour disease. Oh. Mm. Well, that's less fun. Um, maybe I should have done the German shooting wolf dog. But, uh, well, we're nearly done now. Uh, so the article ends uh, with a quote from Mr. Irons, who said, "When we do see one in a suburban, suburban yeah. when we do see one in a suburban area, it's not necessarily because it's just exploring um, or we're pushing it out of its zone. Uh, that one was absolutely starving, just looking uh, for something to eat. There's a sure sign that something is very, very likely wrong if they." if they're out during the daytime. And finally, so the public of Tasmania are urged at the end of this article to contact Bonarong Wildlife Rescue if they do find any sick, injured or orphaned wildlife. Um, but there we go. Fun headline. Not necessarily fun subject matter, but this this one at least wasn't wasn't injured and wasn't riddled with uh, with nasties. Hmm. Oh, I mean, I, I, part of me was thinking, oh, that's great. You know, they're making real, you know, like a real comeback and, and spreading back into the edges of suburban areas like some other uh, marsupials have. But mm. evidently that doesn't sound like it's the case. So, uh, oh, well. <laughs> they're just looking for some some food and water, basically. Yeah. Um, and then some of them, are, unfortunately, are a bit ill. I'd give you one hell of a shock if you tried to pick it up. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, I can't it's imagine just, that just would... Well, you wouldn't want to be bitten by one, put it that way. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we'll go on from uh, from animal rescue centres in Tasmania to animal rescue in um, the UK. What I've gone with is uh, the RSPCA's weirdest and most wonderful animal rescues of 2022. So basically a, a brief summary of some of the different things that they've come across in, uh, in the UK um, within the last year. And that's everything from a frog that's travelled over 6,400 kilometres and a bunch of bananas. I'm never the person nice. to find one of these bunches of bananas with a free frog no, no. or spider in. It's an, always an annoying uh, thing, which is down as one of the strangest rescues of the year. <laughs> so in 2022, the officers responded to some weird and wonderful animal rescues. The charity is called uh, out to thousands of incidents uh, for birds, wildlife, pets and farm animals. Uh, find themselves in all sorts of tricky spots. Um, I was involved in a uh, a rescue this year with a swan as well. Mm. It's the only the second time I've ever tackled a uh, a wild swan. They have yeah. got some power in them. That has very little to do with the article. Uh, <laughs> so the RSPCA said it's been an honour to lend a helping hand to wildlife in need, considering you know that's kind of their job. One of the first to be rescued in 2022 was a, a six month old seal pup called Nacho, uh, who appeared on a riverbank by the Old Lock and Weir Inn uh, in Keysnam, Bristol, 
uh, on the 2nd of January. So it's right up the river uh, Avon, which runs uh, from the coast all the way along through uh, Keesham, where the pub is situated at right on the water's edge. So it's likely basically the, the seal swam up the river. And this happens every year or so. Uh, there was one, I'm sure, in the middle of uh, like a cow paddock uh, and had gone through all uh, the sort of drainage ditches. In It was either in, in Cheshire or in North Wales. It was either somewhere on the border along there, um, which is quite far from the, uh, the sea itself. So basically, this one's done the same. It swam upstream um, from the coast. Two days later, uh, on the 4th of January, uh, a fellow seal pup was also found on a cliff in Weybourne, Norfolk, 50 feet mm. from the beach next to a brick wartime pillbox. Um, obviously, you know, wanting to to jump in there and defend the just, coast of Norfolk. Just likes his history, doesn't he? Yeah, well, exactly. He was just learning about history. Um, yeah. It was quite a surprise, they said, to find the seal so far up. Uh, and it must have taken a wrong turn and then followed the coast path before ending up on the cliff edge. Uh, <laughs> said the RSPCA's uh, Amy Pellegrini, who took the pup down to safety, are back on a nearby beach. So some of the other ones that they've also gone uh, and rescued is a vixen that had her head trapped in a watering can in Colchester. Um, yep. Later that month, there was a fox who was found in a large tin can of dog food in Barking in London. And Inspector Dale Grant said it had proven how dangerous litter can be. And it's it's a real... Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I chuckle. Although the watering can isn't litter. No, that's presumably. a fox. That's, that's just a fox getting in the water again. <laughs> and in London, several foxes were also rescued in the space of a month. Uh, it appears to be sort of around the uh, sort of pupping season um, with their heads stuck in uh, a variety of things. Um, one of them was the central hole of a tyre, which was found... Uh, How in big was this fox? This is a fox in, in, in Orpington. How small was this tire? How big was the fox? Well, the picture itself um, is the central hub where the uh, the wheel like sits onto like the axle of the car. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Residents had also discovered the sister of this uh, particular uh, fox uh, anxiously watching its brother sitting there in the tire um, from a shed. Uh, and in July, customers eating at a McDonald's in Bogdan Regis. Uh, found a five-foot-long boa constrictor slithering through the fast-food restaurant. Um, the snake was passed on to staff, who placed it in a box before it was collected by the RSPCA. Presumably, they got some fries to go as well or something with that, you know. Presumably. Boa constrictor. And, I mean, I'm going to ask next time I go there. I'll go mm. boa constrictor on fries, please. Uh, and in August, uh, rescuers used barbecue tongs to pull a hedgehog free from an open drain uh, in, in Hull in East Yorkshire. <laughs> it basically had got wedged in there. And they found barbecue tongs carefully used uh, helped ease him out of the drain. Uh, and they checked the hedgehog over before uh, releasing it back into the wild. I've actually done that as well. I've I've pulled a hedgehog out of a drain. I didn't use barbecue tongs. I just got my hand in the, underneath it to to sort of pull it out. This was a big ball one as well. It was he was a big hedgehog. Um, and in oh, September... you're hardcore, Gareth. We, oh yeah, we I went. That. Well, yeah. <laughs> in September, fire crews were called out to help another hedgehog. Uh, after it tumbled six and a half metres into a historic ice house on uh, the Dorney Estate in Scarborough, North Yorkshire. Uh, it's basically a deep well that's dug that, uh, that would have been dug in the 1800s uh, to store ice. While no longer used, it's been preserved for visitors, said uh, Inspector Thomas Hutton, um, who was called to help. So presumably it was a hedgehog in a very deep pit. The RSPCA was also called out in September 
uh, after a Hispaniolan common tree frog had travelled over 4,300 miles uh, from the Dominican Republic to the UK in a bunch of bananas. So someone got a free tree frog, which is annoying. Uh, whilst unpacking their shopping in the kitchen, uh, my wife turned to me and said, look, there's a frog in the bananas. Look, there's a frog in the bananas. <laughs> uh, said Ian Holloway from Tamworth, Staffordshire. Uh, and rescuer Johnny Wood said the frog was in good condition despite its long journey. Yeah, you know, you look, look in your bananas. You may get a free meet, uh, free frog. Uh, there's also news of a small finch that flew through an open window into a next store on the 13th of November uh, and was finally caught two days later uh, after flying around the shop. It basically sat on most of the Christmas decorations uh, and landed on top of the trees and seemed very happy to stay there. Though I imagine it probably wasn't very happy considering it didn't have much food. That's just a variety of some of the, the different things that the RSPCA have done. They do well, they do do quite a, a um, good bit of work, and some of those are the more sort of bizarre cases. Um, mm-hmm. But it's that it's that time of year again where we start to see all sorts of people buying bizarre pets for Christmas and getting bored of them. So uh, give it yep. a month from now, and that's when we'll see things like those sort of stories where they've been conveniently let loose, or uh, well, in a McDonald's yep. <laughs> or something like yep. that. But yeah, there we go. That's um, some bizarre ones and me still wanting a free frog in my bananas. Very, very nice. I like that. That was good. Hmm. There is our, our news articles, our first news articles for this year. Let us move on to our very first creature feature for the year, which Drew is going to tell us all about. It's the creature feature. Right. Well, we're into our very first creature feature of the year. Drew, take it away. So I'm going to start this uh, creature feature straight off with a question to you, Gareth. Oh, goody. Yep. Okay. Can you tell me, is there specifically such a thing as a Galapagos tortoise? This is going to be like, it, there's no such thing as a fish. So I'm going to, I'm going to say no, no, there isn't specifically something called a Galapagos tortoise. They're all going to be individual islands tortoises. Mm. Okay. Okay. And then it's going to be a double bluff and I'm going to be wrong. Well, had this episode been recorded between the years 2000 and 2021, the answer would have been no. Ah. There is no such that th- is. <laughs> there is no such species known as a Galapagos tortoise. Each Galapagogian, Galapagian, Galapes, Galapagogi, I don't know what the uh, ethnic suffix for something from Galapagos is, but Anyway, each of the tortoises of the Galapagos were identified as entirely different species from one another. But in 2021, a study analysing the level of divergence within the extinct West Indian Chelanoides and comparing it to the Galapagos Chelanoides found that the level of divergence may have been significantly overestimated. And it supported reclassifying all Galapagos tortoises as a subspecies of a single species, which is Chelanoides niger. So, yes, at least during this recording, um, there is such a thing as a Galapagos tortoise. Uh, but that's the uh, that's the messy world of taxonomy for you. It's like trying to watch Star Wars and consciously ignoring all of the plot holes or Harry Potter. I, I, I try to think of it more along the lines of someone having got a, a sticker book, like, you know, one of those football sticker albums. Yep. And every year someone putting a brand new thing over the top of it. So, you know, 
you, what started out as a as a as a book with say the the same five players in it has now got fifty different stickers on each one. Yeah. You know, as someone each wants to put their own sticker on top of it. Some of them completely unrelated. Some of them will be hockey players or something like that. You know, yeah. but as long as they've got their name on it, that uh, you know that gives them the uh, the the credit they want. That's, that's basically yeah. Uh, that's a good analogy. It's, that's literally what's happened here, really. And uh, we're just ripping all those stickers off at the moment, painfully probably. So they just stick it over this, the top. This book now doesn't close. You know, it's got it's got ridges <laughs> in it. <laughs> I heard you like stickers. <laughs> put some stickers on your sticker. That is an old. That's a really old reference. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so. Well, we've only just started 2023, and I've already fired shots and Star Wars at Harry Potter. But um, we're gonna we're gonna move on from subpar fantasy and talk tortoises, uh, <laughs> and it will be uh, obviously about the Galapagos tortoise, as previously mentioned. Um, so there will be questions throughout this as well. So I'll be quizzing you on tortoises, Gareth. Um, okay. But this is this is going to be part three of my Galapagos files, if you like, which I do covered two other animals um the marine iguana and the blue-footed booby which you were absent for gareth the first episode you're ever absent Very good for. Episode, Very you hated good episode. hate you hate the blue-foot boobies um <laughs> but covered those uh, towards the end of last year and i talked a bit about um jess and my trip to the galapagos i'm pretty sure i did anyway i'm pretty sure i've mentioned it so i gave reasons why i picked the previous two the iguana was my favorite the booby i felt was undeserving of just being a bad joke on a t-shirt so out of all the species we saw why have i picked galapagos to us also well to put it simply they are the poster child of galapagos and what's more is there is so so much to talk about it so we probably better get on with it so now we've sort of maybe kind of established that the galapagos tortoise is a single species in brackets currently how many subspecies have been identified gareth um how many subspecies? Uh, God, I don't know. Um, I'm going to say something like five, maybe, and there's probably another five or six that are extinct. There are at least 14. Wow. With, with two more in dispute, so potentially 16. The disputed ones, though, are extinct. So of those 14, Gareth, mm -hmm. how many of them are still living today? Oh, well, then I'm, I'm going to say it's somewhere around about three or four. All right. Twelve of them are still around. <laughs> oh, OK. I am. I am. I'm going straight in for the negative, really. Yeah. No, it's 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 not as bad as that. No. Uh, so, yeah, 12 of them are still around. Um, six of them, however, though, are critically endangered. Three are endangered and the other three are listed as vulnerable. So, I mean, it's not it's not great news, but at least they're there. But yeah, so 12 still living in total. So each of the islands of Santiago, San Cristobal, Pinzion, uh, Española, and Fernandina have their own subspecies. The island of Santa Cruz has two subspecies, one in the north, I believe, and one in the south. And Isla Isabella, which as I'm sure you all remember from me talking about before, which is the largest island, and it has five main volcanoes. The volcanoes of Wolf, Darwin, Alcido, Sierra Negra, and Cerro Azul, each volcano has its own subspecies of giant tortoise, which, I mean, isn't that incredible? But mm. um, so I can attest at least to how big one of those volcanoes is because we uh, we walked uh, 15K 
uh, of the uh, of the rim of the caldera in Sierra Negra, which is one of the longest walks I've ever done, and I was very unfit, but we did it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's I mean it's enormous. It also last erupted in 2018, and it is due another. So if you are planning on going to the islands anytime too, just be mindful of that. But yeah, so we know that at least two subspecies of Galapagos tortoise have gone extinct. How recent, Gareth, do you think the most recent one was that, that went extinct? Um, I'm going to say something like 2010. Oh, you're close. So it was the 24th of June, 2012. Ah, I know it was sometime in recent memory because I can remember something about a specific one of them becoming yes. extinct the last one yeah yes which who i shall mention just Lonesome a few, sen- George, few sentences yeah exactly yeah that's him um so yeah the, he was the the last pinta island tortoise uh so by the mid 20th century uh they were thought extinct until a single male was found in 1971 and as you just said his name was lonesome george uh, so he was mated with other subspecies at the charles darwin research station uh, but no viable eggs resulted and he was found he was found deceased, unfortunately, by Fausto Larana, his caretaker of 40 years, on the 24th of June 2012. His taxidermy can also be found at the research station um, as a message to us all. However, uh, there was a tiny glimmer of hope also in 2012, as 17 first-generation hybrids were reported at Wolf Volcano on Isabella. As these specimens were juveniles, their parents might still be alive, but that's all we know on that. And ultimately, I guess the subspecies is likely gone. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> uh, I started with the depressing one last year. I had the passenger pigeon going straight, oh, yeah. going straight yeah. for it with the Galapagos tortoise uh, this year as well. So it is worth noting, though, that yes, this is all very depressing. And unfortunately, that comes with the territory when talking about these tortoises. But I will, for the sake of all our sanity, try to keep the rest of this light and, uh, and even hopeful if we can. So... What we'll do is we're going to go into the history and the biology of these tortoises. Firstly, question to you, Gareth, again. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, it's multiple choice, uh, if you like, though. How did these tortoises end up on these islands? Would you like your uh, multiple choice? Give me some multiple choice. Yeah, always take them when they're offered. So the islands, <laughs> the first one is the islands were connected to South America, so the tortoises walked across. The second option is early humans transported them to the islands. The third option is they swam. Or the fourth option is they are actually subterranean creatures and they were forced to the surface by volcanic eruptions. (laughs) (laughs) They were Um, born of the earth. Well, I know that the Galapagos is an island chain that has been uh, sitting on top of volcanoes and has been slowly moving. Mm. So I'd go with the first one, but I'm not so sure on that. I'd say a mixture of the first one and maybe a bit of the uh, the swimming, even though they're not the best swimmers, mm. you know, I can still see there being some sort of uh, situation like that, maybe at some point. Okay, so the answer is ultimately the jury is out. However, one of those options is more likely than the others, and obviously it's the subterranean one. Of course, <laughs> they were they were born from the ground. Um, so some people believe that the islands must have been connected to mainland Ecuador. How else could these tortoises get there? But it's that is a bit silly because, as we've discussed the before, islands. yeah, the Galapagos are volcanic and they're very deep. Uh, there's a very deep stretch of ocean between uh, them and South America, so they were never connected. Mm. Um, others wondered if they swam across, which may seem ridiculous, but 
Well, maybe not. In 1923, the naturalist William Beebe, it's got a great last name, uh, decided to test this in presumably the only way they knew how to test to see if oh, something can God. swim in the 1920s. He heaved a tortoise off his boat into the ocean and was astonished to find that it, I quote, floated buoyantly, despite weighing 400 kilos, which is about maximum size or just over. So the tortoises... This is, of course, <laughs> the ninth tortoise that... Yeah. <laughs> That William off threw off the, head. the rest of them had all drowned. Yeah. So um, the, the tortoise's head and neck rose above the water and the top of its shell bobbed up uh, and down on the surface. Um, but also these tortoises being reptiles, of course, can survive long periods of time without food or water. And the currents along the South American coast can be very strong and they move west towards the Galapagos. So the best theory out there is, yes, a pregnant female uh, tortoise or a pair did swim or rather float out or were washed out which is probably more likely um uh, more likely than consciously deciding to venture out into the ocean but however they got there they were able to adapt to the island conditions and became an important part of the galapagos ecosystem so from this undefined point in time the tortoise had a wonderful time we assume until we fast forward to 1535 when Fray thomas de berlinga the fourth bishop of Panama, discovered the islands by accident. Serendipitous, maybe for him, but probably not for the tortoises. So we believe the islands weren't inhabited by people up until this point, simply because they are really far away out, and there's very little to no fresh water on those islands to be found. So any human that would have just come upon them probably wouldn't have had a, a great time. So when Belenga left, the islands remained uninhabited. But uninhabited doesn't mean unfrequented. Unfortunately, since their discovery, these tortoises have been uh, very much under threat. So in 1792, British Royal Navy officer James Colnett visited the archipelago when looking for new whaling territory. And he wrote that the giant tortoise, I quote, was considered by all of us as the most delicious food we had ever tasted. He also found that the islands were good for whaling too, unfortunately. Uh, it's estimated that around this time that 200,000 tortoises were removed from Galapagos and that their ability to live a long while without food and water became a bit of a double-edged sword as they could be housed on boats with very little sustenance and then could be sustenance themselves, unfortunately, for the, uh, all those sailors. So I've got another multiple choice question for you, Gareth. Mm. So what had the most significant impact on the numbers of these tortoises? Was it... The Ecuadorian War of Independence. Was it the American Gold Rush? Was it pirates and whalers, just generally? Was it human settlers, again, just generally? Or was it the Tories? <laughs> well, I mean, ultimately, I think we all know the Tories have got something to do with it. But it, ultimately, um, yeah. yeah, you know what? I'm going to go left field here. The American gold rush, because it's nowhere near there, but there'll be some bizarre connection or it'll be totally wrong. <laughs> well, 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 he's done it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, So it's it's long been believed that whalers and pirates had the most impacts uh, on the decline of the tortoise. However, a discovery was made in 2015 by Kyla Conrad, don't um, tell me they found that there was actually gold in them, though, tortoises. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah so, and they'd been eating it. Um, <laughs> so Kyla found that during the gold rush era in California, uh, during the 1840s and 50s, uh, those who flooded into California discovered that 
like the whalers of previous years, Galapagos tortoises and sea turtles were easy to capture, high in population, and very yummy. So during these years, San Francisco's population went from 800 to nearly 20,000 people. And whilst there were routes available by land, so travel, um, traveling across the continent, uh, travel by ocean was very, very popular. So typical ocean routes brought passengers all the way around South America, and they went past Galapagos, and they would stop, pick up large numbers of tortoises, and eat them either on the voyage or when they arrived in California. The tortoise would also be sold for eye-watering amounts of money after adjusting for inflation. 17 tortoises were sold in 1849 for, guess how much, Gareth? This is adjusting for inflation. So how much? Oh, right. So So the equivalent today. The equivalent today. How how much would you buy seventeen tortoises for? Four hundred thousand pounds. Uh, not okay. Not quite that much. <laughs> yeah. uh, it went way too high. Yeah. Uh, it, it's fifty fifty thousand um, dollars. Okay. So I mean, quite a lot. Uh, so it's unlikely we'll ever know the number of tortoises imported into San Francisco, but it would have been massive. So. Uh, You've got blood on your hands, San Francisco. Uh, perhaps even more than the Tories. No, I, I doubt it, actually. <laughs> uh, anyway, during the heavy whaling years of the 19th century, human settlement of the islands began. Uh, this obviously brought with it more problems for the tortoises. Uh, habitats were cleared to make houses and agriculture, and goats, pigs, rats, cats, and dogs were introduced. Gareth, which of those do you think is most likely to have made the most impact on these tortoises? Probably pigs. Uh either eating young tortoises, eating eggs, eating Mm -hmm. their habitat, destroying their habitat, or just generally even probably eating adult tortoises. You are going along the right line, because it's not actually cats and dogs, which a lot of people probably assumed it would be, Uh, but it is actually, in fact, goats. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know that there's still a big issue with goats in the Galapagos. Yeah, so goats were left to free roam pretty much on some of the smaller islands and their populations exploded and they pretty much ate near enough everything well the plants anyway i can't confirm if a goat ever ate a tortoise so things unfortunately were looking they, uh, they probably did uh, things were looking quite bleak but in 1959 two organizations were founded and they proved fundamental to the conservation of giant tortoises so the first was the galapagos national park service and the second was the Charles Darwin Foundation, and the latter created the aforementioned Charles Darwin Research Station. The establishment of the Galapagos National Park resulted in 97% of the land area of Galapagos legally protected as Ecuador's first national park, which is like astounding. It's, yeah. it's really significant. Uh, following five years of research into the status of reptile populations, the Charles Darwin Foundation confirmed their endangerment the tortoises, that is, sorry. Um, and a breeding and repatriation program was started in an attempt to revive them, which is still going today. Um, Jess and I had the joy uh, and the privilege of, of going there and just looking at all of their tortoises and, uh, and they've got them in significant numbers and they're breeding them in real real big numbers as well. It's such a, it's such a promising sight uh, after all of this. Uh, if you look into the history of, this, of these tortoises and all of this bad news, so it's had a number of successes, so particularly with the Espanola tortoise. So only 14 of these remained in total, and all of them were taken to the breeding centre alongside a male from San Diego Zoo. And since, 
presumably after many long years of continuous looping Marvin Gaye, 1,750 <laughs> 1, tortoises were released back onto Espanola. That's amazing. So the side villain of this of this story, uh, goats, were also completely eradicated from Espanola. I've seen footage of, uh, and this is where it connects neatly to predator and uh, non-native species control in New Zealand, of these New Zealand sharpshooters who do it from helicopters. Oh, yeah. And yeah. It's the, it is the most stunning thing. They'll sit a mile away because the goats obviously, you know, they see a helicopter and they run. These guys will sit a mile away in a helicopter with a, a high-powered rifle, and you just see these goats on the side of a hill just fall one <laughs> after the other. And they, they just, they, they don't even know what's going on. No, no. You know, by the time their friend has dropped down dead, they then drop down dead and they then go in and clear up the carcasses so that it's not, you know, goat, dead goats all the, along the side of a hill. But uh, it's, it is the most stunning marksmanship I've ever seen uh, for like control of uh, feral species. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that actually, because the methods uh, that were developed in Galapagos for eradication of these goats, I have noted here, have since been applied to other projects, and I've got New Zealand down here mentioned. Oh right, maybe and there's Hawaii. a and Hawaii a bit of like a backwards so, and forwards. Yeah. <clears throat> so I mean, I think that I think they started this in Galapagos, but what the uh, what you're saying, what they're doing in New Zealand, I assume mm. that's that's basically been learnt from what they did, what they did in the, yeah, in they the did Galapagos, Sni- and- sniping goats, basically. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's an amazing level of like accuracy and skill, you know, yeah. from a moving platform a mile away to clean kill an animal at that distance. Oh yeah, there probably sure. be some people listening to this and be like, "Oh God, why are they talking about killing animals?" But you know, it's it's part of the control and management of a landscape, especially one that's had feral species introduced to it. Well, for sure. I mean, it's not the goat's fault, obviously, no. that they're there. It's our fault ultimately that that they're there in the first place. But unfortunately, this is the way that we clean that up, really. But I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the most effective like, ways of cleaning it up. And it, it's one of the most humane ways as well. Yeah, that, for sure. That goes down in one hit, and yep. that's it. What, you're going to chew yourself in the foot? You'll be dead before you. <laughs> <laughs> lost world reference. That's what, that is a lost world reference. First quote of the year. Um, so yeah, to, they, were, they were completely eradicated from Española. Um, as well as from Pinto Island as well, and Santiago, and Northern Isabella. How much do you reckon this whole eradication project cost, Gareth, in modern I'm money? I'm going to say a million, two million? Ten million dollars. Ten million, wow. Yeah, so the largest and most successful eradication project in the world. And yeah, as I, said, well spent. as I said, the methods developed have, have been applied in, in, in other projects in uh, New Zealand and Hawaii. Mm. So a survey in 2007 confirmed the released Espanola tortoises were once again uh, breeding in the wild. So, you know, it isn't all that bad. And we are ultimately capable of uh, of good things as well. And I think this, well, maybe not like just sniping everything everywhere, but <laughs> <laughs> but, but these, <laughs> these tortoises are, uh, are on the road to recovery through this really hard work. Uh, so research is ongoing, uh, starting all the way back to 300 years after the island's discovery, when the HMS Beagle anchored off of San Cristobal and Charles Darwin began his observations that would formulate into his theory of evolution. One observation uh, was that 
I quote, several of the islands possess their own peculiar species of tortoise. And most of the differences, by the way, because uh, I haven't actually, we've almost, we're near to the end, and I haven't actually mentioned the differences of any of these tortoises. There's, like I said, there's 12 different subspecies. It's the size pretty much in them, maximum size of, uh, of the Galapagos giant tortoise is, I think, about 420 kilos. It was pretty significant. Um, but it's also in the shape of the shell uh, between the various subspecies. So some have a, a big dome shell, as you'd kind of imagine a tortoise, but some also have, uh, some have a, like a, a saddleback shell. So it's, it's almost like concave. And some of them are a little bit in between. In fact, the saddleback ones, again, this is <laughs> this is down to early humans. Obviously, when you see a tortoise, or when early humans saw a tortoise with a saddleback shell, what did you think they did with it? Well, they tried to ride it. Clearly. Well, they, they went and sat on it. Yeah, they went and sat on them and, and rode them. Interestingly, actually, as well, Galapagos. Do you know where that name comes from? Mm, no. So it's um, it's from Old Spanish uh, or from like an older dialect of Spanish. And it basically either means something to do with like galloping and saddles or it's or it specifically just means tortoise. So these these islands were either way named after these animals. And that's how significant mm. they are to them. But yeah, the advantage of the saddleback shell is that it's got, it also has an upturned front as well. So it allows the tortoise more room to stretch its neck vertically. But yes, ultimately we're still learning, uh, particularly about the tortoise's ecology. There's lots of research uh, been going on uh, into that. Um, also their migratory behavior as well and their spatial needs, which all of which we don't really know all that much about as, uh, as of yet. But, you know, an individual one of these tortoises can live for over 100 years. The oldest one was at least 175 when she died. So that does give us a huge amount of time for continued improvement and uh, new opportunities when it comes to to undoing all the wrongs that we've uh, that we've done to these guys. But yeah, that sort of in a nutshell is the the history and a bit on the biology of the uh, the Galapagos giant tortoise, which as of this recording does exist. That could change in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wait next week. In fact, before this episode's even come out, boom, there'll be a new paper. Someone will have changed it. Yeah, I'll have to edit it. I'll have to edit it all. <laughs> well, well, it's cool. I, it, it's one of those reptiles that I've always wanted to work with. The largest tortoise I've ever worked with is, is Silcata's. Mm -hmm. um, Same, yeah. Which are, you know, they're, they're big. They're they are big. The largest land, uh, mainland species of tortoise. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, the Galapagos were always one of those ones I wanted to uh, to work with, especially because they'll quite happily do that finching uh, response. Yes, yes. Which uh, well, you've not even not even covered the, some of the behaviours that some of them did. No, I, but, I haven't. But no, feel free to feel free to elaborate on that though. Essentially, because of the uh, the long necks on some of them, especially the saddlebacked tortoises, which prefer to eat the higher plants. Yep. Um, they have a particular response to some of the different finches, which will uh, land on the tortoise and and pick parasites off their neck mm -hmm. um, to the point where if you ever see someone stroking the neck of a Galapagos tortoise, essentially it's it's implying that same response. And the tortoises seem to quite like it. Um, yep. They come yep. over and, and ask for a sort of a stroke on, on their neck um, yep. from their keepers. So, uh, yeah, it's one of those ones I've always wanted to, to work with. It's also it also makes it easier um, to do blood draws and things like that yes. with them as well. When you yeah. basically do the finching behaviour, uh, it, <laughs> it makes it a lot easier because they present their they present their neck to you pretty much. 
Whereas yeah. both of us have worked with silk carters, which are the exact opposite. If you get anywhere near their face, they just, oh, get yeah. away. Yeah, they, uh, they. well, if you're un- seriously unlucky, you'll get your fingers trapped in in a, a lot of muscle and shell. Yeah. <laughs> do quite a lot of damage. Oh, I like um, a tortoise. There's, yeah. There's nothing to dislike about tortoises, I think. No, there's not. There's a, there's, I think there's quite a lot of, there's not a lot of emotion on show with a tortoise. But they've got an attitude. There. They have got some serious attitude, and they've got some real serious character. I I love how bullshit tortoises are. I love the, uh, the the just the attitude of, well, there's a thing in the way. I could either go around it or over it, perhaps under it. But with a tortoise, it's, I mean, oh, it's it's this thing's problem that it's in the way. I'm just gonna go through it. And with there a Galapagos is... giant tortoise, there's really not much that that they're not gonna be able to just plow through. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, we in the the Charles Darwin research center, there was some, like I say, it's a breeding center, so there were loads of loads and loads of um, youngsters, loads of hatchlings, all of different subspecies, um, that were all marked up. And again, there was also the massive, huge, huge adults there as well. Um, and I believe they also had a few hybrids there too. So a lot of the larger tortoises that were still there because we had some people in our group asking well why haven't those large ones been released but those large ones were hybrids and they would have been you know years and years decades old perhaps mm. even 100 years old or so so they can't be released out in the wild but they're uh, but they're having a good life they're having a good well, life there's there's some argument to be made on on islands that don't have any of the remaining populations of tortoises yep. that you could release groups of hybrids you could um, yeah but you know, it's it's one of those things. Where where do you draw the line? Because then you start going, well, yes. we could release them back into the wild with with these ones, uh, but it would weaken the population from yep. being unique subspecies um, to being slightly muddied. But yeah, it's well, a lot of a lot of these hybrids. Again, this goes into the the taxonomy confusion. A lot of the eggs between two subspecies of these tortoises aren't viable. Mm. And and all the hybrids themselves are infertile, which can happen with you know outside of tortoises. But yeah, there's a, there's so much more that we need to learn about them. And honestly, there's loads more that I could talk about because you are right. I didn't really go into a huge amount on their behaviour, but you know I'm sure we'll get around to we'll get around well, to I tortoises think... again. This is our first tortoise, isn't it? Uh, I think it is actually. Yeah, I've got, I've got tortoise. plans for a, an extinct species of tortoise. Oh, nice uh, for later this year, but. Um... Yeah, I suppose we could come back to specific species of Galapagos tortoise. We could do. I, I mean, I'm happy to go again. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, let's move on from uh, from shelled creatures that live on an island to the, the, the veritable shell that is our mailbag. It's very shelled, yeah. <laughs> Bing! You've got mail. Ooh, it's an email. Right. Well, let us crack open the uh, the mailbag for this year. See what we've got on inside. Drew, what's our first question that we've got? Well, uh, listener question. It's a question from the listeners. Uh, this week is from Josh the Frog Dean. And just take note, yeah. Josh, that I did say during the quiz after you said all those nice things about me that I would start prioritizing a question. I'm a man of my word. And Josh asked. Are any snake species actually poisonous? So the actual definition and not venom. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. Can I be let loose? Let loose. <laughs> Go for it. Oh. This is this is something I I quite often end up correcting people on. 
I'm that person who will go, actually, I think you mean poisonous as opposed to venomous or venomous as opposed to poisonous. Um, because far too often people don't know the definition of it. And to be fair, it's not generally taught. No. Uh, in fact, I've even heard, even Attenborough said the, the wrong one. David. Um, I know, I know. I can't remember what documentary it was, but I, I remember watching it and going, what? No, he can't do that. Um, and I think it's it's mostly because they're, they're used a lot interchangeably, almost in sort of pop cultural terms, more than anything. But there is actually a big difference between the two. I mean, ven- um, ven- poisonous. Also, venom is a type of poison. That's, yes. We probably should mention it's, that as well. So it's all it's all to do with the delivery method yeah um and and the uh, the way that it, it sort of goes about so the best way to think of it is if you bite it and you die mm. it was poisonous if it bites you and you die it was venomous so venom has to be injected whether what that's if, either um, through a bite what if what if we bite each other and we both die <laughs> well then you're i think you're both poisonous oh yeah okay <laughs> venomous <laughs> Oh God! What you if, confused me. What if I what if I bite myself and it dies? I think you're silly then. That's voodoo. Yeah. <laughs> don't bite yourself, maybe. Well, maybe not. What, so... what if I? What if we bite each other and we don't die? Then you, you you're fine. You just you just seem to like biting each other. It's kinky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, back to the actual question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Joe. Venom, venom is, has to be injected, whether that's through the fangs uh, of like a snake uh, or the fangs of a, a spider or the sting of something like a wasp or a bee uh, or the, uh, the tail uh, sting of a scorpion. So it basically has to be injected like a hypodermic syringe. It's got to be injected into your flesh or into your bloodstream uh, one way or another. Whereas poison has to be uh, ingested has to be taken in either through being eaten or through a mucous membrane, like your eyes, uh, your nose, or, or like soft tissue in the lungs. Um, basically somewhere where there can be an exchange of, of things into your bloodstream. They both effectively work very similar uh, in that they have a multitude of effects on the body um, and they're used for various different things. So the actual question being, are there any poisonous snakes? Because most species of snake that use any kind of chemical weaponry are venomous. So things like a death adder, an adder, uh, or a mamba. Um, boom slang. I'm, boom slang. I'm, I'm drawing a real blank on venomous snakes. The cobras. <laughs> yep. They all have injectable venom. There are some exceptions, though, in, a, in nature there are always exceptions because nothing is straight lines in nature. It's always, it's always like slightly outside of the lines. No, that's why taxonomy is so difficult. (laughs) Nature is a bad colorer, but likes being a bad colorer. Yeah. So you've got things uh, like one that definitely comes to mind is the spitting cobra. Now the spitting cobra has venom Mm. and that venom itself is used to kill its prey. But it can, as the name suggests, be sprayed out of the tiny holes at the bottom of its fangs with such precision that it can actually go for the eye shine of an animal um, yeah, and hit it in the eyes, and it will act like a poison. It doesn't have to be injected into the, the bloodstream. It can get into the bloodstream 
through other methods. So that would technically be poisoning, even though it's actually venom it's doing it with. Yeah, with uh, yeah, because that's a bit of a grey area, isn't it? Because if it yeah. goes into your eyes, it pretty much goes straight into your bloodstream, which is then technically injected, isn't it? But it's sort of not. But it's not injected because it's absorbed through your eyes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 a grey area. But the the one that comes to most people's minds is the uh, the keelback, which is rhabdodophis, and that's because uh, they eat. Well, they in fact. Josh the Frog Dean should watch out because mm. the main food on their menu is frogs, tadpoles, toads, pretty much any amphibian that they come across. So uh, I'd watch out for these particular snakes. You'll find them in Southeast Asia. Um, they prefer to eat all sorts of different amphibians. In fact, they're almost specialized amphibian eaters, but they take on the toxins in those frogs uh, and they store them within the, uh, within the animal's body essentially meaning that if you were to try and eat that snake uh, you could become poisoned just as easily as if you got bitten by it uh, it could obviously envenomate you another one that came up during our research for this this particular bit is some types of garter snake have been known to uh, become poisonous in the sense that they've eaten poisonous amphibians as well and stored the chemicals in their livers so that would technically make them poisonous because you wouldn't be able to eat their liver but that then led us down an even further uh, rabbit hole where polar bears in that sense could technically be considered as poisonous because if you ate a polar bear liver they have high levels of vitamin a in them which makes them poisonous to humans to eat so <sighs> there are many 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 blurred lines in this one it's uh, it's hard to give an exact thing but as a general rule, the keelbacks are the um, the ones that are poisonous of, of the snakes. Mm. But yeah, that's that's the sort of half an hour lecture that you'll get from me if anyone's, you know, <laughs> misuses poison and venom around me. Yeah. Don't even get me started on people who, who can't tell the difference between pterodactyls and pteranodon. Oof. Oh, no, um, no. That's enough to make me go, go rabid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> stopping people in the street and just going right let me get my charts yeah there you go josh i hope i hope that's answered your question and uh yeah feel free to send in more and i will skip that right up the list <laughs> <laughs> blatant favoritism there well he was <laughs> nice he was very nice to me hmm. well speaking of, of people who've been nice to us mm. we've had some pretty um good responses uh, and nice comments as well um, over the, uh, the Christmas holiday period on our Twitter and our Facebook pages and that. Um, various different posts got some nice comments from some of our listeners. Uh, one about monarch butterflies um, had uh, Louisa Leary saying that she is continuously amazed uh, that this sometimes multi-generational migration, it could see a great-grandchild finally complete the migration that its grandparents made. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Well, yeah, at a great distance. In fact, I, I've got to admit, monarch butterflies are on my list of ones I want to try and cover this year because oh, of yeah. that migration. Um, oh. We are our very first butterfly, I think. Um, I've done a moth, yeah, but we haven't we haven't ventured out into butterflies. I have actually got a butterfly on my list as well uh, oh. this this year. So we, you didn't get any butterflies before. You might get. Loads of them. All butterflies. They're all coming. All the time. They're all coming. 
but yes, we've had some some really nice uh, responses. Although we did get into a, a slight dispute with someone on Facebook <laughs> as to what a baby goat or a baby donkey looks like. Mm. Um, but apparently, you know, the ability to post on a Facebook page makes you an expert. So uh, we'll say no more than that. But if you can manage to find down the uh, the comment, you'll you'll have a bit of fun reading the uh, the responses that went on from there. Uh, but um, yeah, that leads us into this week's question for for you guys at home. We're back to doing those now. Um, what animal are you looking forward to seeing this year? Whether it's uh, out in the wild, whether it's uh, an animal in a zoo, um, or whether it's an animal that we might do on the uh, the podcast. If you have a particular animal that you want us to uh, to do, let us know, and um, we will try and possibly fit it in there there's always yep. all room for them yep, for um, sure. and you can see it in some of the artwork that we have and we've got the, the lovely 2022 artwork that you've done drew that looks really good with all of our different animals from this year thank you um right well if you want to get in contact with us uh, like our listeners have um you can do so uh, by sending us an email to the nat history covered at gmail.com which is our email address you can contact us through twitter facebook uh, and Instagram, we're also on TikTok as well. Um, and you can answer the question directly on our podcast app. If you have it through Spotify or Anchor, you can you can do exactly that. Answer the question through that and let us know what you're thinking. Uh, and before we go, before we sign off then, we should let everyone know, we, we did mention this very briefly a couple of episodes back, but we are in fact getting ready to celebrate our 100th episode. 100 episodes mental i know a hundred creature features a hundred bizarre quotes a hundred times of people saying you know i'm i'm somewhat of a well, like, not a hundred not, not that many because that was only one year wasn't it we, we did a quiz uh, on this gareth it, it's felt like it yeah <laughs> um but we are going to be doing a live stream for our next episode um, and you can join us. You can interact with us you can shout at us please do actually we encourage yes. you to, to come and join us because it will, it will make it a lot of fun for us, and I'm sure it will make it a lot of fun for to watch back. It'll be visual. You'll be able to see our faces, mm. all three of us in the same place, hopefully. Um, we're really hoping Aaron reappears, because yeah. otherwise uh, we'll just have to get a cardboard cutout of him or something. Yeah. <laughs> or have him on a little screen in the background. Uh, but we are going to have a live stream. We're going to be posting up on all of our social media uh, where the links are that will take you to it and when it's going to be. Um, so keep a close eye on our social media um, for those uh, for those details. Sorry, the dog is currently dreaming. Yeah, yeah I can hear her. Uh, so keep a close eye on all of our social media uh, to see when that is coming out. But we are going to celebrate our 100th episode by doing it live. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we won't you, have sting to play us out though no we you, no we won't and if, if you can imagine the sort of train wreck that some of the recordings end up you don't need to imagine once nope. <laughs> once you jump into we'll see jump into that ice cream because you'll see it live you'll see the calamity of this whole process <laughs> that gets edited it's out far less polished because we haven't done live streams before well <laughs> Apart we, from we that did one time yeah we, but we weren't hosting it no no. So uh, here's hoping it all goes well, and we can, and we we hope that you'll join us for our hundredth episode. Yes. Um, but uh, 
that pretty much brings us to the end of this week's episode. The first episode for the year. Mm-hmm. One in the in the bank, as it were. Yep. Um, beginning of season three, which is pretty yes. good. Yeah. So yeah, who knew we'd get to this point, eh? Who knew? <laughs> um, but that pretty much just brings me to say a big thank you, Drew, for uh, telling us all tortoise-related facts today. Uh, you're very welcome, Professor. That's all right. Uh, although, you know, I'm still off at the moment, you know. I'm not the professor at the moment. Uh, you, no, you're full-time. Full-time professor, <laughs> even even during your holidays. It's like a, it's an honorary title. Uh, fair enough. Uh, and a big thank you to you at home for listening. And we'll see you next time here in the Natural History Cupboard. Bye. Bye. We don't have a thing for this bit yet. Send in some suggestions. <laughs>